This weekly broadcast is an in-depth study of Leviticus and is presented to you by Cornerstone Bible Center in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. You can email us at indepthbibleteaching at yahoo.com. And now, here's our teacher, Alex Del Percio. That the walk, that's the pattern there in the book. But remember that Jesus Christ died for us. And He became the way of God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So that was our entrance. But there remains yet another part, and that is to live a sanctified life. And we're not going to talk about that this morning, but we will in a future class. So let's begin with verse 3 of chapter 1. And I want to pick up with what I was talking about last week just briefly, then we'll move on uh, from there. If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. And, and what I want you to see here is that this is a voluntary offering that he would offer it of his own voluntary will. Now, the dictionary definition of the word voluntary is this. It means arising from one's own will, which, which we know. It means one, uh, one's own initiative. But if you go into the Hebrew here and you look at this word, one of the definitions, or the main definition, I should say, is to delight. So the word delight encompasses two things. That which is initiated of a person's will, but it also encompasses this other thought of delighting the heart of God. So the English definition for the word voluntary is not it's limited. The word delight encompasses both, both of those particular thoughts. So with the burnt offering, there is to be this desire in the heart of the one who is offering it that they want to please God. It wasn't a required thing. You know, it's not a required thing that... Well, we, we should please God, but it, it's, it's something that flows out past the law. And we're going to look at that in a minute. I want to show you two verses from Psalms where the same Hebrew word is used. And actually, when you substitute this idea here, of, or this thought of delight, it actually sheds a little different light on these scriptures. Let's turn to Psalm 19. Just... Two quick uh, verses. Okay, quickly go to Psalm 19, verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. This word acceptable is the same word as voluntary 
in uh, Leviticus 1.3. So you can say this, let them, meaning the words and the meditation of our, of our heart, let them be a delight to the Lord. See, not just acceptable, but see, the thought of it being accepted means that that comes out from a heart that wants to delight God or please God. Psalm 143, and I thought this was rather interesting, as most scriptures are when you study them. Psalm 143, verse 10. Now, reading this in the English, you, you won't see this word or this thought, really, because it's hidden there, because the, the words in the English don't give you that. The first part of the verse, teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. The phrase, thy will, is the same Hebrew word as we're seeing here, voluntary. So you can say, teach me to be a delight to you, because that's what the, what the psalmist is saying. Uh, of course, doing his will is a delight, but, but it, it just throws a little different light on that scripture. So delighting the Lord was an integral part of the burnt offering. Now, I'll just give this to you if you're taking any notes. The first three offerings in Leviticus had, had this particular thought in them. Uh, that is, uh, the burnt offering. Can you see that? I write small, I'm sorry. Uh, the burnt offering, the meat, and King James uh, says meat, but it's the meal offering and the peace offering. Those three had within them this idea of delighting or pleasing God. And, and we'll see this in a minute. The other two were non-voluntary or compulsory. They had to do these. This was a sin offering and the trespass offering that we'll, we'll look at later. Now, three, as I said, three of the five offerings were voluntary. Now, if you read, did you read the first five chapters of the book, everybody, I hope? Very traditional, the things that they're doing. We always have this idea that tradition is wrong and tradition is not good. But God set this up and this was to be a tradition that the Israelites had to do. Now, let me, before I go on with that, tradition, I looked this up right before I came, means... Um, Inherited, this is the, the uh, definition from uh, dictionary. Inherited, established, or customary pattern. In the New Testament, when the word uh, tradition is used most of the time, it means tra uh, traditional instruction. It's dealing with instruction. So in Leviticus, he's, God is laying out the instruction or the tradition. Now the problem can be this. If the tradition becomes a tradition, then there's a problem. See, it's a good tradition, so to speak, if you get up and you come to church. Very good. But if that's where it ends, then the tradition there is of little value. 
So there's more that has to occur than coming to church. There's more that had to occur with just going through the rituals and the traditions that they did here with the animal sacrifices. God was after something. He wanted something to occur within the heart of the one offering. It's just um, it's like you have a child. And you may say, okay, I don't want you to do this. I don't want you to do that. You're not to do this. And you're, so to speak, laying down the law. And so the child has to go by what you're saying, or they should go by what you're saying. But how many know that your children don't always uh, listen to what you say? Now, if you have a child that has this in, her, in their heart, that they want to please their father or mother, then what occurs is because of that heart, they will move out from under the law because you can tell them, I don't want you to do this, I don't want you to do that, but if in their heart they want to please you and they don't do that, then they're no longer bound by the law, so to speak. They move out from that and they actually fulfill the law or, or the wishes of the parents automatically because they have this uh, wanting to please the Father in their heart. So whenever he set up these traditions, uh, they were a good thing. They had to go through the ritual, but it was not to stop there. There was, there was to be something going on in the heart always so that God would work in them to bring about this, this heart condition that wanted to please and wanted to delight the heart of God. So I will go through this, but as I go through this, is not a, a chore. It is something in my heart that I want to please Him. Coming to church, is it a chore? Or is it I want to come because I want to delight the heart of God? See, so with that type of heart, one moves out from under the law and begins to actually fulfill the law. They're not under the law anymore. You understand? In um, Galatians 3, I'll just uh, read this because we're not going to have time. Galatians 3.24, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster, Paul says, to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. See, so, so whenever a heart has this, I want to please God, See, they will begin to move out from under the law and they will begin to be justified by faith because now their actions are not because they have to do it. It's because it's a voluntary thing. And now they, they want to please God and they are moving in faith toward God. That's <clears throat> what the law was to do, to be our schoolmaster, to take us from under it to another place. See, the tradition is okay as long as the heart is moving out in, in a way that it brings, brings you to another place. Now, we see this with the burnt offering. If you read the Old Testament, you will see that Abel offered of the burnt, off, burnt offering. It says that Abel offered uh, of the firstlings of the flock or he offered the fat thereof, the, the King James says. 
And the fat doesn't mean the fat of the animal. It means the best, the fattest, the most uh, precious of the flock. So let's say that a guy would come in here who's a millionaire, and he has this big wad in his pocket, and he pulls out you know, this wad, and he's, he brings it over here, and he says, okay, now you know he's a millionaire. He can give you as much money as he wants. He says, it's whatever you want, take. So he fans his out, okay, and there's a one, there's a five, there's a 10, there's a 20, there's a 100. And five, is there $500 bills? I don't know. I've never seen one. <laughs> anyway, so he fans him out. He says, no, you can have whatever one you want. Now, if you're looking at that, now you, you know a kid. A kid is going to go for which one? The $500 bill. Now, if, if he's a millionaire and we can have what we want, he says, no problem. We would probably take the 500 What that was was the best of what he had in his hand the one that had the most value. So the fattest of the flock is the one that has the most value, and that was what Abel did. He picked the fat thereof, and he offers that to the Lord. You see with Moses, Moses' father-in-law, when, whenever uh, they come out of Egypt, and they were delivered, and after that they were delivered from the Amalekites, Moses meets his father-in-law Jethro and talks with him and, and he says, talks about this great deliverance and, and you see Jethro does this. He was the priest of Midian. He offers a burnt offering. And toward the end of the book of Exodus, uh, you see Moses offering a burnt offering. So this was something that they did. Uh, for example, Abraham also, we know the story where he took uh, his son up to the mount. And he also offered a burnt offering. This was a voluntary thing, offering the very best. What is the very best? Okay, pertaining to you and I, what is the very best? You're going to go to your backyard, and you're going to pick a sheep? A goat? How many have sheep and goats in their backyard? None of you. I wouldn't expect you to. So that's not the offering you're going to offer. The offering that you're going to offer is the very best, and that will be what the Lord is desiring for you to put on the altar, whatever that is. It's different for you. You and you and you, every one of us, it may be different. It probably is. But... We can offer the fat thereof, the best, and that would be the best, or we can offer something different. Something that, you know, well, I'll come to church as an offering. Uh, I'll do this as an offering. And Lord may say, well, what is it that I want? What's the offering that I want from you? From your voluntary will. So you can bring it up, or you cannot bring it up. Now, I want to show you, before we get to something else, let's just go to Job. Now, Job also offered a burnt offering. And I, when I was reading this, I thought, boy, this would be a great, a great study to really get into this. They say that the book of Job is one of the oldest books of the Bible. Um, 
I tried, you know, looking up. They're not sure when the book was, was written. Of course, when it was written was not when this happened. It, you know, when it was written was afterward. But, see, Leviticus wasn't written when Abraham went and offered the burnt offering. When Abel offered the burnt offering. That, the book of Leviticus, Leviticus wasn't written. When Job offered this burnt offering, most likely the book of Leviticus wasn't written. So this was something that uh, somehow God communicated to their heart. They knew this. Um, they had this desire to please him and to delight him. And so they went and did this. In the book of Job, verse 1, chapter 1, there was a man in the land of Uz, <clears throat> whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance was also 7,000 camels, 7,000 uh, 7, 7, sheep, uh, and 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-asses, and a very great household. So this, this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his sons went and feasted in their houses every one his day. And that means that that uh, just like we have sometimes now where we have a birthday party, uh, they would go from house to house and they would celebrate the one son's birthday, then they'd celebrate the other son's birthday in, in its time, you know, maybe a month or two later or whatever, then the daughter's birthday and so on. Um, and his sons went and feasted in their house uh, every one his day and sent and called for the three sisters to eat and drink with them. Now this is the verse I want to show you. And it was so, when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their heart. Thus uh, did Job continually. Now I want to read the latter part of verse 5 from another translation. He, or Job, did this because he thought that one of them might have sinned by insulting God unintentionally. So, so Job had this heart to please God for himself, but he also was actually being the head or the priest of his family, and he was watching over his children by offering these burnt offerings. Now, let's go back to Leviticus chapter 1, and I want to talk about something here in the offering that is identification. Uh, the person that was offering the sheep or the goat or whatever it was had to identify with the offering. Now, they didn't have to identify with what the animal was because, of course, I mean, they're not going to identify with what sheep, but they're going to identify with what happens to the offering. See, that's, that's something different. This animal was going to be accepted in their place. Verse 4. And he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. So this atonement here is to make uh, payment for sins in general. Okay? 
un, you know, maybe unintentional sins. Just like in 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with him, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from sin. So we're walking in the light, there is this cleansing going on in the heart. So it's an automatic thing if we're walking in the light. So this is very similar to that. Uh, so so he, he's instructing them that they put their hand upon the animal because this animal now is going to die in their place because of their sin, whether it be intentional or unintentional. In this case, it's unintentional. Uh, it's still there, it's sin. The animal is going to pay the price of death in their place. Now, the animal was tied, killed, and cut in pieces. Now, of course, this relates to Jesus where he is tied or nailed to the cross. Um, he, is, uh, he was killed, just like the animal. And his will, nevertheless not my will, but thine be done, was cut in pieces. His will was cut in order to do the will of the Father. And we know his blood was shed on the cross. All these are a type of Christ. But what I want to do is draw an analogy here between what happens to these animals uh, with, with us, how that relates to us, because um, these offerings, they get down to where we live as a Christian, or, we don't, or where we don't live as a Christian. So the first thing we see... Um, Okay, we'll look at that in a minute, but um, it's a verse out of Jeremiah, I think. But anyway, the first thing that happened was the animal was tied to the altar. Now, you know, whenever you study some of these things, you don't see the specifics. They don't give you, the Lord doesn't lay everything out in very, very fine detail. So here you have a picture of the tabernacle. And the people would come in here. Now, let me ask you a question. And then I'll we'll move on here. When the Lord desires something specific from you, are you always willing to give it immediately? Now, there are some things that when the Lord desires from us, uh, that we're willing to give him. And there's no struggle. It's, okay, Lord, it's yours. It's fine. It, you know, like that, it's done. Now, it doesn't say exactly where they slaughtered the animals. Okay? But this is my thinking. You have an animal. Some animals are very docile. And, you know, you can lead them around. And, I mean, they're just like they're there, you know, wherever they go. And some animals... They're not so, they fight and, you know, pull and want to go their own way. It's quite possible that the ones that they knew were docile were killed somewhere in here. And the ones that were not so docile were brought over to uh, the brazen altar and tied up there on the horn. So they would bring them in. And they would tie them there on the horns so that they couldn't move. 
And so I, I see two things there. One is there's a time when things are killed easily for us. <laughs> we, we bring the offering, Lord, and say, okay, here it is, and it's no problem. Other times, our will is so strong that God, so to speak, has to say, okay, if you really want to please me, you need to get up here. And we're going to tie you to the altar. And there you will be. Now, when you're tied to the altar, it's no longer your will. It's God's will. It's no longer what you want. It's what God wants. It's no longer your purpose for your life. It's God's purpose for your life. And so, there is a time when there is a tying to the altar. No more going where you want to go. No more, I want this, I want that. It's all going to be dead soon. Tied to the altar and waiting. You know, well, now the voluntary offering becomes a struggle. It's not so easy anymore. When it was something that we didn't you know, care too much about, oh yeah, Lord, that's fine. Uh, you know, I can offer that. But I'll tell you what, in my experience with God, He gets down to the bottom of your heart. And there have been times when I have had to struggle and struggle and struggle. And I would say in the last three years, I have had certain times in my walk where I had to struggle more than any other time in my walk with God ever before. And I've gone through quite a few different things before. But God has to get us to where we want to please Him. And if it means tying us to the altar, so, well, are we going to say, yes, Lord, tie me to the altar or no? You know, this becomes a very, very intense, intense struggle within. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done, Jesus said. Now, in Jeremiah... Real quick, let's turn there. 29, verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. So we see the Lord is speaking here. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. Did you ever think that God has thoughts of evil toward you? When he wants you to do something that you just say, Lord, I just, I can't, I can't. This is just too difficult. You say, well, you know, what is with you, God? <laughs> anyway, he wants to get us past that. Not of evil, to give you an expected end. The word expected there means a cord, a cord of attachment. And when I read that, that reminded me of this brazen altar where the Lord is going to take the offering and bind it with a cord of attachment attached to the altar. And that, that, that means ultimately attached to Him. He wants to give us an expected end. Oh, yeah, an attached end. Attached to Him. But before we're attached to Him in the right way, we're going to be attached to the altar. Go back to Leviticus 1. 
Let's read verse 5 together. And he shall kill the bullock before the Lord, and the priest Aaron's son shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood round about the altar that is uh, by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. So here is the second step, was that the animal was killed. Now because of the sin of the people of Israel, because sin was so serious, the people had to show this violence toward these animals. Do you know that the priests didn't kill the animals? Oh no. The people did. You come in, you bring your offering, and you cut its throat. I remember, I'm running out of time, but I remember when I was a kid, my grandfather, he was a trip, but he, he, used, to, he used to slaughter animals in the basement, you know, like chickens and pigeons and stuff like that. And I remember as a kid going down there and, you know, standing there and he had a big uh, stump, wooden stump, and he'd put those chickens on there and he'd go whack, whack their heads off. And I never really understood the, 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 the phrase, you know, running around like a chicken with your head cut off until I saw that. And here goes this chicken, and it's taken off, flying, you know, flying around. It's like, I, I was like, get me out of here. I was shocked. <laughs> it was pretty, pretty odd. And I remember another time we went to some slaughterhouse, and I saw this, this cow being slaughtered. I don't know why my, my grandfather did, I mean, who knows? He took me. Why would you take me? I don't know. I don't know. We were on our way to some farm somewhere in Pennsylvania, but we had to stop in the slaughterhouse. I don't know why. Let me ask you this. If killing an animal was necessary for you today as a Christian to cover your sins, would you do it? See, how much do you want to please God? If killing an animal was the first step to coming in here and worshiping God, would you do it? Would you come in and, and bring an animal and slit its throat? I, I mean, I'm glad I don't have to do that. But we don't realize, you know, what Jesus Christ has done for us. But if we were living back then, you're not coming to worship until you bring the sacrifice and until you slit its throat. See, that's how ugly... The sin of man is to God. And he says that you need to pay the price with your life, but okay, we'll bypass that, and I'll give you an animal that will have to pay the price for your sin. But this is what you need to do. Quite something, isn't it, to think about that. So here you have this animal, motionless, because it's dead. Not capable of moving. Why? Because it's dead. Are you getting the picture? So here we come to the Lord. And we, you know he wants to have this offering here. And he wants to kill your carnal man. Dead, dead, dead. No movement, no motion, no going where you want. Nothing anymore. See, because... The blood of your old nature now is to be spilled. Whew. Now, you know what? There was no resurrection of these animals. 
But see, with us, it's different. We can resurrect our carnal nature. We have the power to do that. But that's not the offering God wants. He wants the free will offering where your carnal nature is, you know, I die daily, like Paul said. You know, there it is. Voluntary, I'm going to do what you want, Lord, not what I want. So the animal had to be killed. In uh, Colossians, I have it in my notes here, I'll read it. Colossians 3, 5. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. I'll read uh, part of this from the NIV, the beginning. It says, put to death, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to the earthly nature, put to death. Who's doing that? You are. Now, we're going to look at this in a little more detail, uh, maybe next week, dealing with the priests, what the priests were doing. But uh, the next thing was the blood was drained, and it's not like they hung, you know, like uh, hunters do, they hang you know, the deer up and the blood drains out and stuff like that. What they would do is when they would kill the animal, the priest had a pan, and he would go over, and while the, the animal's bleeding, and you know, if you, I don't know how many of you ever seen an animal killed, you know, when they're first killed. This is, sounds a little, you know, gruesome, but I, I'm telling you this because the picture that we want to paint here is how bad and evil and, um, and how God looks at sin. It, it's, it's horrible as far as he's concerned. Um, but they would... The, the, the artery that's got pump, still pumps the blood for a while, and they would get a pan there, and they would catch that blood. And what they would do, I gave you this handout last week. They would come, and they would dip their fingers in the pan, and they would rub the blood on the horns of the altar. And then they would take the blood in the pan, and they would spill it along the sides of the altar, and down along, it would down, uh, flow down, and they would dump it down near the uh, bottom or the base of the altar. Has, uh, how many ever been in a slaughterhouse? Anybody here? You have? You have? One of the things is, that really stuck out to me when I was a kid was the stench, the smell. It was like awful. And as I said before, when the Israelites came through this door, they saw... This altar here, the brazen altar. And it wasn't an ornamental thing. Here there's the blood of animals stained on it. And also, possibly they, they would see animals being killed right there. I mean, this was an awesome sight. Not awesome in, 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 you know, uh, in, in wonder, but awesome in, in being ugly and horrible. <laughs> you know, approaching that. And that was representative of their sin. And so the priest would, would do that. And, and, and I imagine there would be this smell there. But remember, there was also the smell of the uh, animals being burnt. And how many like to smell roast? Roast smells pretty good. So you had the mixture of these two. I don't know what that would smell like, but you had both of them. So um, that's, that's what was going on there. Uh, now... Let me see here. 
We're still looking at the blood of the animals drained. So that, remember, the blood represented what? Can't hear anybody. The life. The blood of the animal represented the life. Just like your blood represents or is your life. If you lose four pints of blood, you're going to be dead. I mean, it's not that your, your tissues and your organs died on, them, on their own by themselves. It's because the blood carries the nutrients and everything that the, every, every cell in your body needs. So th this blood represented the life. The blood shed, the life goes out. The life is gone. So the carnal nature, God's dealing with the carnal nature, and it's killed and the blood is shed. When the blood is shed, the life of that is to go out. No longer to be at all in the individual. See, we do not have to move in our carnal nature. Now, I know that we do at times. Uh, you know, and there are... There, <laughs> the, the further we walk with God, the more confining sometimes He gets with what we do and what we say. I know sometimes I say some things and I say, geez, why, you ever do that? I say, why did I say that? It was just stupid just to even say that. But see, that's because God is dealing with the heart. He wants to make sure that that carnal nature is, is totally drained of all its life. And, and, and dead. Gone. Motionless. It's, not, it's just there. It's, what happens to the blood? Once it comes out, it goes on the ground, and it has no purpose, I mean, as far as producing any life anymore. And so... The carnal nature, see, if that's, if that's what happens, it, it can't produce anything anymore because the blood is gone, dead, done. We have to continue. I was going to go to Isaiah. Well, maybe I'll go to Isaiah anyway. Go to Isaiah 40. Do you know that Christians, and that's a general term, um, let me say a lot of Christians do not believe that all flesh is as grass. Now, they read it in the Bible. Of course, they believe the Bible. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the reality of that at work and moving in their life, that all flesh is as grass. In Isaiah 40, verse 6, the voice said, cry, and he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof is as a flower of the field. The grass withereth, and the flower fadeth, but the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the, the people is grass. Uh, the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of, of our Lord, or our God, shall stand forever. Now, what sheds light upon verse 6 where it says, all flesh is as grass? I'm going to tell you what sheds light upon that, and that's what we read in verse 5, and that is the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. If the glory of the Lord is revealed, then all flesh is as grass will be understood and taken and, un and, and brought in to the person's uh, life. So 
so in order to see all flesh is as grass, you have to see the glory of God. Now, to, to correctly see the glory of, of the Lord will take a death. See, so if the, if the carnal nature is alive and there's no death there, then the glory of the Lord is not going to be seen. And the understanding of flesh is all, all flesh is as grass will not be comprehended either. You understand? Okay, the last thing here. After the animal was, was killed, the, the, the priest would um, catch some of the blood in a pan. And as I said, they would uh, you know, put it on the altar and anoint the altar. Uh, and then they would cut the animal in pieces. That's, let's go back to Leviticus chapter 1, verse 6. And he, the priest, shall flay, and that means skin, the burnt offering, and cut it into his pieces. So, so now you have the animal was, was killed, the blood was shed. See, see how extreme God goes. <laughs> and it's cut into pieces. See, the old life, if it's killed and the blood is drained and cut in pieces, it is no longer going to even be recognizable. See, that's the thorough work of God. So that the Lord can work such a work in your life that your old man won't even be recognizable at all. What you were before, you know, how you, uh, you acted, what you did. You may run into someone and they say, you know, like I did when I went to Peru. I ran into a friend of mine that I grew up with. And um, I was at the airport. <laughs> and he could hardly believe that I was going to Peru. So it's because, the, I mean, on my own, I don't, I don't want to go to Peru. I won't go to Mission Field. But see, the, the old man that he remembered was so dead and cut up that he couldn't recognize it. He couldn't understand what was going on. What, what do you do? What do you, you know? Oh, that's exciting. Oh, yeah, it's real exciting because you're not going. <laughs> that's what he said. You know, and so the Lord will go to extremes if we will bring the offering voluntarily to Him, whether it's a, um, an easy thing or whether it has to be tied to the altar. If we desire to move on, the Lord will help us. I mean, it's no big thing for Him to tie us to the altar, you know. I mean, he'll do that for you if you want him to. See, but it's, it becomes a voluntary thing. And that voluntary thing in the heart uh, will move and continue to move all the way through this process. And bring us to a place where we say, boy, I would never want to go there. Uh, he's... Um, Jesus said that to Peter, that I'm going to take you, and I, I believe that word means carry, if, if I'm not mistaken. I'm going to carry you to a place where you would not want to go. Well, where's that? Well, that's at the end here. <laughs> when it, what you want, your old life, whatever, whatever thing that you wanted in your life, it's going to be just destroyed and cut up. I, I, I remember 
and I, I was talking to Wendy about this a little bit uh, yesterday, I think it was. Um, there, there was something in my heart years ago. I wanted to, to get into business, not, not the business world, but I wanted to open up a business. And I was actually going to go to school and take some courses and then, then find an, a niche in, in work. A friend of mine, him and I grew up in, in the part, auto parts um, uh, industry and you know, worked at a dealer. And we, at one point, were going to go out and uh, open up a parts store. Uh, we were you know, kicking that around. Uh, but of course, I got saved, and that wasn't my focus anymore. And I am so far removed from that. I mean, unless the Lord would say, okay, I want you to do this. But I, I could not spend my time doing that. It, it, I would have to force myself to do that. <laughs> uh, I, I, it's just not, not in me to do that. Now, that was something before that I had. I mean, unless the Lord, for some reason, would want me to do some little thing, but it would have to be some little thing because I don't have time for anything else. You know, uh, what's it say about, about Saul? Saul waited for Samuel for seven days. And then it says, uh, when, when Samuel, Samuel comes, he says that you didn't come, etc., and the Philistines were here, and the people were scattered, and he said, I, I forced myself to do this. Well, it wasn't so much that, that the Lord was displeased with the timing there, although that's true. It was what he was offering, the heart that was offering. So a lot of this, you know, what we deal with is this internal thing, what's going on here. And for me, as I said before, to do that now, I, I would have to force myself to do that. I, I, I couldn't just do that. That's not... The Lord has called me to spend time studying the Word and to teach the Word. I, I know that. I mean, it's a miracle. When I stand up here and teach, it's a miracle. Believe me. You're looking at a miracle. But that is what God has me doing. And, and I can't spend my time getting involved with a business. I wouldn't want to. See, that is cut up. That's gone through the process. It's, it's gone. And there are other things that have gone through the process, as well as it's been with, the, with you. There are things that have gone through this same identical process to bring a voluntary offering to the Lord for you to Him. And, and this is the, the way it has to come. You're not just going to offer what you want. See, the offering had to be according, even, even though it was voluntary, it had to be according to how the Lord laid that forth to do it in order for it to be effectual. And we'll talk about an effectual offering next week. We'll go through this chapter, and I want to show you some of the things dealing with the effectual offering and, and then some of the things the priests had to do. So, until then, we'll see. He that scripture has said, rivers of living water.